Hello, welcome to another edition of Seen Anything Good Lately. I'm Jason Solomons, brilliant to have you with me as ever. Thanks for listening, and as I'm sure you're already doing, recommending us to all your friends. See, these things work both ways. You get loads of recommends from listening to this show, and then you pay it forward. So go on, like, subscribe, rate, recommend, and I promise you we'll all grow together. Right, who's on the show this week, and what are they talking about? I have watched Johnny English a couple of times. (laughs) (laughs) The last film I saw was Baby Teeth, which is just stunning. I think whatever they did to get the performances in that film should be bottled and sold. Because actually I've watched Devine as well. It's a female filmmaker special. Uh, Not intentionally. I don't like to make a big deal of these things. But yes, my guests this week are all women and they're all filmmakers. I think a few years ago we'd have had to point that out and say, hey, aren't we special? Aren't we featuring the women? But now, wonderfully, it's increasingly usual and unremarkable. So we'll just let the talents speak for themselves. And they are Sarah Gavron, director of hot new London movie Rocks. And she's joined by her co-writers and collaborators, Teresa Ikoko and Claire Wilson. Plus, documentary maker Rubika Shah, who's made White Riot, a doc about the Rock Against Racism concert in Victoria Park in 1978, when punk met reggae and defeated the fascists. So we'll hear what the Rocks gang are up to and what they're watching, and then what the Riot Girl is into. All after I tell you if I've seen anything good lately. Well, of course I have. You listened last week, right? So, you know, I was at the Venice Film Festival and I was intrigued to get back and watch the awards ceremony on a live stream uh, from back home. I was delighted to see that Vanessa Kirby won Best Actress, the Volpe Cup. I told you last week that her performance in Pieces of a Woman was a standout and that she was definitely a favourite for the win. And if I didn't tell you that on the podcast, I'm sure I told someone. Maybe it was on front row on Radio 4 or maybe it was on Radio London or maybe it was maybe it was my mate Nick in the pub anyway I'm claiming it I'm, I'm claiming having called that one and the film's been picked up by Netflix now so you'll definitely be seeing that soon Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman uh, and I was delighted to see Pier Francesco Favino win the Volpe Cup for Best Actor I didn't guess that one but I did have him on last week's show so I knew something was up you know we intuit these things on seeing anything good lately and as for Best Film Nomadland Well, I didn't see that one as it played last in the competition, so forgive me for missing that out of my roundup, but I obviously can't wait to see it. Uh, Congrats to that film, to the director Chloe Zhao, whose previous work I've I've really enjoyed, and to Frances McDormand, who by all accounts is fantastic in that. Of course, she uh, won at Venice for three billboards and went all the way on to to win an Oscar. That's where that film debuted, uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and that was her her big Oscar-winning role. So uh, maybe there's another procession from uh, the Lido to the Oscars for Nomadland. So what have I watched? I did catch the first episode of the Singapore Grip on ITV. Can't say I'll be catching many more episodes of that one. I like the idea and you can see why they commissioned it and where they've gone for it because it's a bit of a decadent oriental colonial glamour with the tropical heat and a bit of looming war but it's all very by the book. Uh, and despite a fine cast, uh, including Charles Dance, Jane Horrocks, Cole Meany, uh, Luke Treadaway, it's all a bit broadly written and performed for my taste. 
I did watch a bit of the US Open Tennis, which is on Amazon Prime now. It's good to see a new face winning a slam in the form of Dominic Team, but I watched the first two sets of the final, and it's always been very late, the US Open final, even on Amazon Prime. And he was getting murdered by Zverev. He was pummeling him. I mean, there was no way this guy could come back from the pummeling he was taking. So I went to bed two sets down, uh, was Team, to wake up and found out that he, he, he fought back. Only the fourth time that's ever happened in the slam final from two sets down to win uh, three sets to two. Uh, remarkable stuff. So well done, Dominic Team. I have to say that watching it on Amazon Prime was interesting because the US Open, for the lack of crowds, it's always a noisy tournament. But what they'd done was they'd put uh, loud music, sort of popular music, like a bit of rap. But I mean, normally I don't mind a bit of music, but it was in between every changeover. So whenever they'd sit down and sweat themselves up and have a little drink, there was loud music playing in the stadium to kind of force the atmosphere. And as for those virtual crowd Zoom screens, don't get me started on those. What nonsense. I have seen something a lot calmer, which is Max Richter's Sleep, a documentary about the composer's life and career. He did the scores for Mary Queen of Scots and Brad Pitt's Ad Astra recently. He's done Taboo with Tom Hardy on the telly and... Uh, Black Mirror episode, but mostly it's about the creation and staging of his monumental composition, the eight and a half hour lullaby, Sleep. It's a really gorgeous film, this one, and the music's lovely, and he comes across as a, a really great chap of sensitivity and intelligence. He's just trying to pursue an artistic career all the while while looking after his kids and, and working with his wife. It's very sweet, but there's something truly epic and transformative at the heart and soul of this film. This is this masterwork, Sleep. I, I confess, though, I did have the urge to nod off while watching the documentary, which I think is a compliment, although it's just a bit counterintuitive that, the, you know, a film might want to send you to sleep. It does sound gorgeous, and I'm going to be listening to the whole album of Sleep in order to help me get to sleep, because uh, once you've seen anything good lately, it's hard to schluff after that. <laughs> Okay, let's start this week's guests with a collective for a bit of a change. Director Sarah Gavron is a leading filmmaker in the UK right now, having started with uh, success like Brick Lane and followed it with Suffragette. Uh, and now comes Rocks, which is a terrific London film about a girl in Hackney fending for herself and her little brother once her mother leaves, but using the help of her school friends to survive. Uh, don't get that. Don't get that. Don't get that. Where? Don't get that. You're an old woman. How am I an old woman? Only old people eat that. What, so your mum's actually gone? Again? It's not a big deal. So who's going to be with you guys, your nan? My mum's going to come back. I'm only taking care of Emmanuel for a couple of days. Is your nan going to come? She's in Lagos. Now, Rocks was all made with a non-professional cast, shot and street cast in East London and workshop there. Uh, and it's such a collaborative experience that Sarah Gavron refuses to take all the credit as director and insisted on being joined by her chief co-creators and workshoppers and collaborators in this, the writers Claire Wilson and Teresa Okoko. So I welcomed them all on the show. The more recommendations, the better, I reckon. And congratulations, everyone. Thank on you. Finally getting it out there. It feels like a a long time ago that we first started talking about it. Uh, Claire and Sarah, I think it was at the ELFF, we spoke to you, Teresa, you couldn't come. So brilliant that you're back and it's out. What was it like waiting 
for it because you were just about to come out before lockdown. What's the the waiting is all sometimes, or sometimes it can be painful. But I think you might be hitting a right sweet spot right now. Yeah, it definitely feels like the right time. I think I think I describe it now as like a fire and a bomb. I hope that people feel, particularly black and brown community who have been disproportionately affected by COVID nineteen and the injustices that we've seen sort of set the world ablaze this summer. I hope that they feel galvanized and inspired and uplifted through this film. But I also hope it offers a a moment of stillness and peace um, that I'm sure a lot of people are craving that reconnection. I think because of all of the things that have been going on in the world, to be honest, the wait hasn't been excruciating. Everyone's probably had bigger fish to fry. So (laughs) just really grateful that we all have made it safely, soundly and together as a family to the other side. Yeah, in a way, I feel because the film is such a sort of family affair. I mean, you guys being the the meta family, the guys who made it, but then the guys who are in it, your kind of your your crew are of, of actresses and friends. It feels like so close to real life that in in the film itself they would have suffered the lockdown. And and and, and watching it again, they, it feels like they're exploding into the freedom of a of a sort of post lockdown world anyway, mm. Sarah. So I yeah, I don't know as director how you would have you would have managed that, but it seems like you did it anyway. Yeah, I mean, we've been having lots of contact with the girls through lockdown. They're so wanting to go to the cinema. They're so wanting to be with their friends and see themselves on the screen. It feels like an important moment to shine a light on young people generally. I feel like they've had such a bad time. They're coming into this really difficult world and we need to pay attention to them. We need to celebrate them. Well, everyone's <laughs> everyone's blaming young people, aren't they? They're super spreaders. Totally. They're ruining it for all... I don't know what they're ruining for all the old people, but they seem to, they're, getting, they're getting a bad rep. Your film, you can't watch your film and give youngsters a bad rep, Claire. No, I agree with Sarah. I think that teenagers do get criticised a lot and they kind of, they're constantly sort of looked at as what's going on with the world is like, they're the example of how it's all gone wrong. And really they're just living in a world that we've all created for them. So they're surviving and they're moving through that. Going back into it again, how different to your teenage lives, your teenage era was this current teenage era that you were mixing with, that you were coaxing out these feelings, this dialogue, this energy from Teresa? To be honest, for me, not that different. Like I'm from the same part of London that most of these girls are from. So I'm from Hackney. The story was written and filmed set in Hackney. So it felt very similar. I went to a girls' school in Hackney. My four friends are still my friends today. So and you're telling me that it's not so long ago. I didn't mean to be rude. You're you're very close <laughs> to being a teenager not still so yourself, ago. quite clearly. But also, just I, I I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I was surprised by how much these experiences are so shared. Because even when we speak, like in a, in the, as a creative team, we call ourselves. Like like the adults slash the aunties of the Rocks family. Even when we speak amongst ourselves, like so much is repeated in terms of like, I guess what, what is fundamentally important and like, and how important female friendship is and how transformative it is. We've all sort of had that experience. I suppose that the, the, the huge change is, is social media. I mean, that's kind of what old people oh, are yeah. so worried about. So we didn't have that as, as kids for sure. We had our own little ways, but these girls have social media. <laughs> is that what you're saying? That you were worried perhaps the stories that all they'll do is be on their phone. They won't even know how to engage anymore and you were pleasantly surprised and relieved to see that isn't the case I wasn't necessarily worried that they wouldn't know how to engage but I guess I was worried that they would miss the light and the joy because I think we hear so many stories of online bullying of depression and anxiety high rates of that in young people and it exists of course it's really very much there but uh, what I was relieved about was how much they love one another how powerful that friendship still is even though what we see is actually just young people tearing each other down hurting each other and just being just so destructive in one another's lives and actually they all don't sit around looking for ways to compare themselves to each other or to destroy each other they actually sit around looking for ways to build each other up and to celebrate and to laugh and to cause mischief in the most innocent 
innocent and sometimes not so innocent but joyful way claire wilson do you think this lot are feminists i would say that they are i don't know if they would identify i wouldn't want to yeah. speak for them no exactly i think that they are definitely owning spaces and more confident than i mean i'm also a little bit younger than sarah i'm sort of the in-betweener so for me going back to school which is what it felt like actually but going back to school was what i i was just so engaged with how similar it was it really was like oh my god everything's still the same all those kind of relationships but i did feel an elevation of voice which i think i, I can see in our cast a confidence about being women i felt in in your film that they, they feel that they can do things on their own. They feel they can actually get up and, and make a difference. And there's a lack of fear, a lack of restraint about that. Not that, not against the system, but on their own. They didn't kind of think, oh, well, I'm a girl, I shouldn't be doing this. It felt to me that they felt emboldened to do whatever it was that they wanted to do to surmount any goal possible. And that felt to me a really empowering message from, from this film, Claire. Well, I think that was the atmosphere that we created. And, you know, it was a hugely collaborative process and it was 75% female crew. And so they were surrounded by women that they could look to and see all these jobs happening around them. And they did rise to the challenge, all of them. But also I think that they were, they were put in a surrounding where they were, they were able to be as free as they, as they could and be as brave as they, as they wanted to. One of the things that I love about the film is the look of it, Sarah. But I want to know where you got that look from. I know you work with your camera woman. Elaine Louvart. Elaine yeah. Louvart, exactly. So where did you get her? How did you forge that look? Did you say that that's the look I wanted? Because it has a poetic look. There's some gorgeous photography, but there's a sort of a British tradition in there as well of social realism. How did you say, well, that's what social realism looks like today? Because it, it, I thought it was great. Well, we wanted, all of us actually wanted to do a sort of love letter to London, but the, the real London, not the London you sometimes see, the shiny London you sometimes see on film. And the guiding principle of the cinematography was really the kind of guiding principle of the film, which was let the girls rule rule their world in a way and own their world and let's let them own the, the set. So we, we didn't want to kind of box them into corners or just create little bits that, that you know, where they had to walk off the set and suddenly they're in the real world. We wanted to create real environment what about the music tell me about the music Teresa is that something that you got involved with it seems very London it seems very now uh that could be uh, Ray Black ringing you up right now um <laughs> or, or did you just listen to what they were listening to at the time it was a bit of both really um so Sarah had asked when she first met me about how important music was and reminded me that my answer was everything so it just really felt like it was important that the film sounded like how it felt yeah and I think you did and you got a great mix there I mean, I think we've talked about how, how much I love Kokoroko and they're on there and Skepta and Little Sims. In a way, when I first saw the film, some of these artists were like bubbling under, whatever. But I think over the last year, whatever, since the film, they're, they're almost more mainstream now. You're hitting like these big artists and people are like, how do they get these guys on this <laughs> on this little indie film? So, uh, you know, absolutely fantastic. What do you mean little indie film? <laughs> well, it's not a little, it was a little indie film when I first saw it. Now it's a, the, the biggest That's hit of the year. Buster. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to ask you now that because you're on my show. Um, have you seen anything good lately, Sarah Gavron? What have you been watching? Well, it's always a bit of a tricky question, isn't it? Because... It's not designed to trick you out. <laughs> no, I did go to the cinema to yeah. see the Christopher Nolan, and that was a good big screen experience. I always watch any film directed by a woman, and I did see um, the Eliza Hitman, and I thought it was an amazing film. Because I, I interviewed her, Eliza, about your film, because I said, oh, her, Helen, you've done it. She goes, oh, I haven't seen Rocks, I really want to. So it's good that you've now seen hers, and you can... Uh. You can share. Maybe she's caught up with yours. Maybe she has, yeah. Well, like she hasn't, it would be very it. awkward. Wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but she was watching, uh, I suppose, her in lockdown, and she was watching some Godzilla movies with her 
her tiny young son so she'd been that's what she oh uh, yeah I, I have watched johnny english a couple of times <laughs> <laughs> not out of choice not out of choice but with my 11 year old yeah they do find him funny i'm afraid what about you claire wilson seen anything good lately uh, the last film i saw was baby teeth which is just stunning Chandler murphy yeah yeah and i'm gonna get to work with her later next year so that's exciting well as a result um, of having seen this film you, you get a uh, you get a no, prize she's actually yeah, that's right. Yeah, so basically everyone watch it. Uh, no, she's she's going to direct an episode of The Power, which I'm working on. Do you know um, what I saw, which you worked on, is Gangs of London, <laughs> is what you were... I, before I met you earlier and you were working on this, I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And I, I saw that in lockdown and interviewed um, uh, Gareth Evans, who directed it. That was a, an event, really? That was, yeah. I mean, lockdown has been good in some ways. For like the timing of that was just like, I think... It, it it hit a moment but anyway we're not talking about that no um, but, but i mean it's different because you, you you've done a different gang it does strike me that you, you this rocks they're a gang of london they're rather different to the gangs of london in, in gangs of london but they are certainly <laughs> a gang of london i mean they they don't they yeah quite different actually <laughs> they're a group of london a group which we call them a london, squad yeah. yeah a crew of london Teresa, have you seen anything good lately Yes, but the ones I can remember on the spot that I'm going to refer to are Atlantics by Matty Diop, yes, um, which um, I was on the on the panel for the Sutherland Jury Prize for that. And I, as everybody else on the panel, advocated it for it as being something wonderfully beautiful. And also um, Capernaum, directed by Nadine Labaki, um, which I just think similarly to Rocks, just um, really puts this young these young people at the heart of it in such a miraculous way that I watched it and I was like, but how, how did you get him to do that? And a baby, that's the best baby. baby acting ever. Ever. I'm convinced the baby and the boy lived together for two years before mm -hmm. that happened, before the film started in, because there's no way, the baby had to believe that boy was his brother because otherwise babies can't act. No offense to baby actors. <laughs> They can't hear you. They can't fight back. That's what we love about you. you can throw a Three time you're going to get an yeah. email. You're going to vomit at you. <laughs> yeah, that was. I think whatever they did to get the performances in that film should be um, bottled and sold on the black market. Sarah Gavron, Claire Wilson, Teresa Rococo, thank you so much for joining me and for your seen anything good lately suggestions. Do you know what? Seen anything good lately? Yeah, rocks. That's my answer. Oh, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. And yes, there is a great soundtrack album of Rocks released on Island Records featuring Little Sims, Ray Black, Coffee, Steph Don, Georgia Smith, Mabel and Celeste and Coco Roco, who feature on the, not on the soundtrack, but in the album, uh, on the film itself. Uh, they have done a playlist inspired by the film, especially for its release in Everyman Cinema. So you can seek those out on iTunes and Spotify. And is Georgia Smith's Blue Lights sounding a little bit like this. Don't you run when you hear the sirens coming. When you hear the sirens coming, you better not run because the sirens not coming for you. What have you done? You went to school that day. Was a bit late, but it was a Monday. Kept up the class for answering back. You apologized and it harmonized. What have you done? There's no need to run. And that warms us.
us up nicely for staying on a musical tip for my next guest uh, and a fascinating subject covered in Rubika Shah's award-winning documentary White Riot, which recreates the atmosphere and the times around the Rock Against Racism concert in Victoria Park in East London in 1978 when The Clash headlined alongside Tom Robinson and Steel Pulse in front of an estimated 100,000 people. I think there were about three toilets between them, but that didn't stop them prevailing. I was asked, would you come down and photograph the punk night? Suddenly, the clash come on and bang! There was this incredible cultural explosion going on. It was a scary moment because punk could have gone either way. Some of the bands did have NF following. The National Front were growing incredibly. Keep our country! Free from invasion! They're not English! They don't belong here! And filmmaker Rubika Shah joins me now. Hi, Rubika. Congratulations on your film, White Riot. Congratulations on winning the Grierson Award at the BFI London Film Festival. That's a great start to a film's life, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, thank you so much. It's definitely um, it was a big surprise and um, very thrilled about that. Very prestigious. I mean, you're in a long line of great documentary makers and it's quite unusual, I think, for a music doc to win it and I suppose that's probably because it's much more than a music doc isn't it? Um, Absolutely it's a film about music, punk, politics, civil rights, pop culture um, and about I guess young people in the late 70s. Is it something you knew about growing up? It was always something that I was aware of I'm probably a bit older than you but I grew up with you know NF signs everywhere and I I remember vaguely the clash happening and I was too young to go but I remember Rock Against Racism and I remember the badges and the anti-Nazi league but I didn't really understand it all. Seeing your documentary brings it all back and gives it a much bigger understanding but I suspect I'm trying to wonder what it is Rubika that attracted you to the story. Well that's that's interesting actually because I knew a lot about the National Front and I knew about how dangerous this time was for people of colour especially and um, I didn't know about Rock Against Racism Um, so my background's music and I've always been really interested in music and especially archive and music stories so when I found out about Rock Against Racism and I watched the concert actually that was the first piece of footage that I found in Victoria Park in 1978 that took place um, I was just blown away and I just became a bit of a mad woman and just went on this hunt to find out more and more and dig deeper and deeper into the story about how this um, concert happened and about how 100,000 people from all over the UK, young people, marched from Trafalgar Square to Victoria Park in support of Rock Against Racism. It's an extraordinary story when you then delve into it and your film does this about how lo-fi that culture was. Now we have concerts and, and raves happening and uh, I, I guess they happen through WhatsApp and secretly. Uh, I don't know if you quite realised how underground all that fanzine culture was and how, how hands-on it was. Absolutely. It was, and it's just so rich. I mean, there's so many different kind of tapestries in that sense. There's, you know, the fanzine, there's the music, there's the personal stories of those that were involved. And we, um, you know, we wanted to try and do a um, kind of tribute to the era in a way. And so we spent a lot of time developing this animation style, which is very lo-fi. And it's actually quite difficult to do because it's 2D animation rather than, you know, 3D kind of animation that we see um, so much of. Um, so that was really fun, bringing all those elements together. I think you can know the punk aesthetic from, you know, visually uh, and from fashion and from music. But to actually understand punk itself as a movement, you have to intuit what's going on in 70s Britain. And that's what's important in your film. You really get the social uh, aspect that gave birth to punk. 
you know, this is a different side of punk in a sense because it's a side that breaks out of the usual punk. Um, you know, we think of punk, which is fashion, um, you know, music, you know, things like spitting, the kind of anarchic um, ideas around punk, and it, take, it actually takes those anarchic ideas further because it takes them into thing into into um, themes of like civil rights, for example which is where the idea for the Rock Against Racism came from when read um, about the concert in, in the NME, which um, Eric Clapton said some quite nasty things about um, people. And he, he felt motivated. And I think that's really important that he felt motivated to go out there and to make a difference and stand up for what he believed in. It's also that confluence of punk with reggae, which is people forget about uh, how, how close and synergetic they were. Uh, but it was very, very important that they all came together because it must have been some 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 divisions in punk as well. There were the, the, there was a sort of skinhead racist element and then there was a skinhead uh, activism element, a, um, a civil rights element. And it must have been a very strange and divided Britain at that time. So a lot of this, um, the journey of, you know, making this film was a journey for me to really fully understand some of the things that went on in the 70s you know there's documentaries about it but I think I was like fully immersed in this world of um, the two different factions you know so you've got the punk which are in line with the reggae artists and as you said and then you've got the um, the skinheads that were the ones actually that rockets racism were trying to target were trying to say to them look you know look at your look at the music that you're listening to really listen to it that music comes from black traditions it comes from reggae it comes from you know, blues and R&B and, you know, have a think about what you're standing up for because this is the brilliant thing about Rock Against Racism. It was able to communicate to young people through their fanzine, through a really contemporary way. I was amazed looking at your film, what a state Britain was in the mid-70s to late-70s. What a crap hole it was. <laughs> I don't know if I mean, I mean <laughs> that in the most flattering manner, but my God, it was rubbish. One of the first cuts actually we had the bin bag you know and if anyone ever knows anything about late 70s there's these I think was it the winter of discontent when um, yeah. there was um, you know just bin bags piling I mean it, you, you couldn't really make this stuff up like just the piles in Leicester Square you know they're like as high as two-story buildings um, you know so that gives you a real sense of some of you know of what Britain was like um, and the violence obviously the violence and the the, the the sort of youth that was going nowhere and the anger uh, and and of course this 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 horrid kind of you know sight of these union jacks marching down streets the kind of extraordinary groundswell that this guy Martin Webster from the NF was able to muster and just the the, the, the clear anger people had to, to attach themselves to some cause of any sort. Yeah, going through that footage, I mean, this is, um, you know, we've cut that footage down for this documentary, which is 80, 90 minutes. And, you know, having to wade through hours and hours of that kind of racist violence and marching you know it kind of it does weigh down on you after a while so i was going to ask because your film sort of finishes with the great climax of this extraordinary concert this extraordinary happening uh what did it serve did it is it well oh there was a rock against racism concert and the racists were defeated i mean it seems a sort of happy narrative in a way it was sort of right in a way the national front did go away they were defeated what was the sense of the people involved and i'm talking about you know the people from the clash that you interviewed to the people who organised R and R, 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 R,
what do, what do they sense of their achievement? Did it take a while for that achievement to permeate through? Is it only in history they can see what they did? I think it's only in history because I think at the time they moved on to different causes, also to do with civil rights and race relations. So I think although the National Front had been defeated in the polls, as it were, you know, there was still activism to be done. And Rock Against Racism continued for a good few years. And then I think it morphed into other, you know, other organisations once that um, was done. But I think at the time they didn't see it as an achievement. I think they saw the concert as an achievement in the sense of being able to pull that off. Um, Because none of them were promoters. They were just like guys. I think Red Red was a photographer. A couple of the guys just... You know, they worked in the print shop. They were graphic designers and artists. Um, so to do something as big as that was, I think, quite a, a, an achievement just from a logistical point of view. Yeah, it certainly was. I love the fact that they didn't have the, the right sound system because they were only expecting like a thousand people and then a hundred thousand turned up. Yeah, and the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's it's funny. still a problem today. <laughs> uh, Rubika, I'm going to ask you, have you seen anything good lately? Um, okay, yes. So I have been watching a lot of films, actually, which is interesting because everyone seems to be watching series at the moment. You're going back to films, um, are you? Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been um, watching a bunch of films. And so I've seen a film um, called The Orphanage, which really blew me away. The director's um, name, she, she did a film called The Wolf and Sheep. Like, yes. Does this ring any bells with you? It does ring a bell. And the orphanage is a can. Yes, it was a can. And I didn't see it. <laughs> I said it embarrassingly. It's an Indian film, right? It's well, she's Afghani actually, Afghani. and so it's got it's got threads of like Indian kind of it's got threads of Bollywood in it in terms of the way that she tells the story. Um, but what's really interesting about it is that it's set in um, Afghanistan, but it's set in the eighties during the Russian um, control of Afghanistan. Which for me, I don't really know anything about that, but I'm really fascinated in by kind of Russia and um, you know that kind of ex-Soviet kind of the way that you know the architecture and you know a lot of um ideas around that so and what i think is also interesting is that it's a different spin on afghanistan because it's told from this young boy's point of view Mm. and it's really a coming of age story about this um i guess he's a teenager who sells um tickets illegally to go to the cinema and he gets caught and he gets sent to this place that's called the orphanage but it's actually more like a boy's boarding school and um, it's it's just it's a unique story. It, it's a coming of age story, and he's it's also quite a soft story. You know, it's not about violence, and it's not about the usual things that we associate with Afghanistan. Um, so I think it's really worth a watch. Amazing, no, and that um, that that Russian occupation of, of Afghanistan that was one of those other things that was thundering on in the news alongside the National Front here in the UK and Rock Against Racism. That the Russian invasion of Afghanistan was something as a kid I was completely occupied by actually and rather terrified by so uh, you're right to be obsessed with it almost at the same time it seems so it's a good joint obsession to go with because actually i watched Devine as well oh what a great uh, film Devine is so I, re- I really feel like i'm quite late to the party with that one because it's so fresh and authentic um and again it's a coming of age story but set in i guess in i'm guessing in paris or another city in france about this girl and about um you know, her kind of coming of age culturally and also wanting to break out of her local community. And she ends up getting involved in drugs and um, kind of seedier side and how she survives that whilst also falling in love. And yeah, know, so it's many a different great, threads. I mean, it's a great sort of girl friendship movie. It's um, mm. it's a great youth movie. It really fun. It won, I think it won, uh, I think it won a prize at Cannes what, about four or five years ago. 
that would have been around the same time as Céline Sciamma's Girlhood was going on. The two are often sort of put together as these mm-hmm. great French explorations of subcultures. And um, I think they're both they're both fantastic to watch, actually. Uh, what else have I been watching? I started watching um, Ozark. Oh, you like you're going Ozark. OK, so tell me because people keep saying they come on the show and they say I'm watching Ozark and I keep thinking, right, I must catch up with this. And I haven't done it yet. I must oh, do. I, I... I'm exactly the same. I think I've just I've watched so many films since lockdown began that I thought, Do you know, mate, okay, I'll try a, I'll try a series. And um, a friend of mine who we often like similar things suggested Ozark. So I watched the first two episodes, and I think it's really good. It reminds me a bit of Breaking Bad mm. in the sense of Do you remember the main character Walter? He um he he goes through this massive transformation, and I feel like Jason Bateman's character is going to go through some kind of similar trans transformation i think it's isn't online. it to do with the sort of drug manufacturer or drug dealing in in a, in a sort of dark sort of place that you wouldn't expect it exactly yeah because I, I always feel like if i'm about to watch something on netflix it's going to be quite glossy um and this is actually quite indie and feels quite um tonally feels fresh it feels feels it's it's good Good. I'm. I'm. I'm go- I must do. I must do. I'm going to bookmark Ozark because everyone keeps telling me, and and then and then the right people keep sort of saying that they quite like this one. So it's obviously mm. got the right the right timbre and the right right classiness, uh, Rubika. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a Absolutely. good Netflix yeah. choice. Yeah, it, kind of, it, it feels a bit like an indie film, but it's not. You know, a bit maybe an indie film meets Sicario or something like that. Mm, good choices, all like of those. And then I thought um, about Doc. I, I watched recently the. I, I thought it was really great, and I'm interested to hear if you um, if you've watched it. It's the Michelle Obama doc. Oh, becoming. Yeah. No, you know I haven't watched it yet. Um, I don't know why. I was watching the Michael Jordan one, Last Dance. Mm. I, I will get onto Michelle. Um, I, I saw some reviews from colleagues, and they were they were sort of like it's okay, and I'm thinking it must be amazing though. It's about Michelle Obama. It must be hugely inspirational. I think she's brilliant. So I don't know why I haven't watched it. Tell me why I should. I I reckon it's um it's definitely should be a watch because it, you're right. It's completely inspirational, and it it almost feels like it should be compulsory viewing for some people because um, her story is just so insightful, and she's. She's one of these people, I think, that she's got so much charisma that she can just carry it off, even if the story is not 100% perfect, you know. I just feel like watching her for 90 minutes isn't really that difficult because she's got so much to say. And, um, you know, there's not that many people that are doing the kind of work that she's doing. Um, so I, 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 really, I think it's a, a well worth watching. No, yeah, I know. So. I, I know. And it, and it must be an inspiration too. I mean, I think her book, uh, which I've had a look at, is also pretty inspirational. I, I, I just think that they're, she's doing great stuff. Uh, and, you know, it looks like she's leading the way in, like, very, very inspirational for so many women around the world, mm. and we, uh, uh, young women, children, I would say, even, uh, that seem to be flocking to her. I remember when she came to London, you know, and all those school kids uh, not, not far from where I live, they were all like absolutely buzzing with the fact that Michelle Obama had been. Mm in Islington you know you could feel the whole borough shaking with with sort of genuflecting with glee and uh, about her palpable presence here so I think that must mm. rub off must rub off in, in becoming and be an inspiration to you as a as a female filmmaker yeah well thank you Rubika Shah thank you so much congratulations uh, and thanks for coming on Seen Anything Good lately and uh, I'll see you soon thank you bye
And that from The Clash brings us to a riotous end for this week's Seen Anything Good Lately? A show bursting with recommendations, social history, music and female filmmaking talent. If you liked it, let me know by liking, rating, subscribing. Your support is much appreciated and certainly much noted in all of this. We really can see the difference it makes. So be a part of it and email what you've been watching via saggle at jasonsolomons.com. I could do with a new book recommendation at the moment, so you know, it's your turn to inform me. See you next week, Saglers, and I just know you'll have seen something great by then. Ta-da. Mm-hmm.